Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we are Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi. This is not a book from our youths. It is a contemporary YA fantasy novel, which we are covering because we are working on broadening our scope and our horizons and reading more contemporary fantasy books by Black authors. We are so excited to be covering this book. This book blew my mind. I read that it was optioned for a movie before it was it, even published. And, and a major motion picture. <laughs> it's in development, in development, right? Yeah. yeah. Disney and Fox. Which makes total sense reading this. I, I'm very, very excited for that movie. I, thinking about it, though, I, I wonder if there's too much material in this book I for a movie. I don't know how they'll fit it into one. When I was, have to cut some things out. When I was reading it, I, I was like, yeah, this would be really amazing to see on the screen, but what would be maybe better than movie is a big-budget video game because it, it almost reads kind of like a Final Fantasy game mm-hmm. because of how much stuff happens mm-hmm. and like the way in which like you have to get these magical things, so it's very quest-driven mm-hmm. and like there's very clear like delineated acts and we're also learning about decades of oppression and mass genocide Mm -hmm. and the ways in which these different groups of people have intertwined it's a lot it just and like (laughs) one movie there there's so much lore that Mm -hmm. could be put like if you're Mm -hmm. reading all the books in the library in the video game then there's all this information about you know i've i've got it all figured out i'll i'll get that game going (laughs) yeah get in touch with madeline if you are a developer if you are a developer at a major studio (laughs) i want big money only big money (laughs) for my first game that's the plan Okay, this book was requested by multiple listeners. Thank you so much. Um, Also by Allison, one of my oldest and dearest friends. Special shout out to Allison. Yeah, sorry you're going to get a special shout out if we've known each other since we were 14. It's only fair. (laughs) It's only fair. (laughs) So the episode is going to follow the same structure as our reread nostalgia episodes do. Um, So we'll start off with an exploration of the cover of the book. Um, So even though this is a newer book, it doesn't fall... 2018, I don't think I said that yet. Okay, yeah, so a lot newer book. Um, It doesn't fall into that overly CGI'd, glossy, just like graphic design is my passion. (laughs) (laughs) Or the too vague symbol-filled attempt at looking cool it has i believe uh, the main character on it although i don't know i think that's Sally. okay it it is a young woman um she has like gray blue eyes dark skin she has okay yeah so it is Sally. um and uh, you can see also that there is some kind of golden tattoo uh or makeup on her face above her right eye which i don't recall specifically if that's about anything or maybe that's just the artist's own interpretation no, i think it's probably the symbols of the oh, centauro okay yeah that makes sense like click has and she has really incredible like flowing white hair that's like 
streaming out above and behind her. And then she has kind of, um, I don't know, she's got some head accoutrements, uh, which also look really cool, kind of piratey looking. Um, and uh, the title is In Her White Hair that says Children of Blood and Bone. This is just a really cool cover. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan. Oh, it's magnificent. Yeah. I was It would totally to pull me in if I were a kid. What, just upon seeing it um, without knowing anything about it. Oh, and there's stars behind her in like the black background. Yeah, big fan, big fan. Um, this cover is by Rich Diaz. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Good job. Great job. Rich. Good job, Rich Diaz. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. This one is no different. Um, I think that Tomi Adeyemi is going to have a significant career. And She's so young. Uh, yeah, she is only 27. Um, and so wrote this book when she was like 23. Um, so if you want something to make you feel that you have not accomplished enough in your short life today, there it is. What, what an advertisement. (laughs) No, I know, but there's so much in this world. I am very pumped i keep saying excited to continue the trilogy there are two books published as of yet oh okay wow um so did the most recent one like just come out december 2019 children of virtue inventions that is the name of the second book yeah and there i feel like that's a newer trend with um fantasy uh, lit of this kind lately that they have a long complicated title um mm-hmm. and I agree. to be honest i'm pretty into it like it's it's magical it's it's gothic it's i feel like sarah j Maas kind of yes popularized <laughs> yes that. yeah and now like it's very out there and I'm, I'm pretty okay with it am i pronouncing her name correctly haven't looked it up okay I mean, you don't come to this podcast for correct pronunciations. No, that's not what we do here. We do apologize. So I'm going to provide a plot summary for those who haven't read the book. Although what I was trying to get to is to say I highly recommend that you read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is long, but I would argue that it can be read at a quick pace or listen to the whole thing and revel in it yeah Mm -hmm. i have read it slowly and um all of our listeners especially our american listeners can probably empathize with how wretched and excruciating the last few weeks have been today (laughs) is november 14th 2020 the year of our lord (laughs) yeah um And so having a distraction and an incredibly rich world to step into Mm -hmm. has been very helpful for me. And the audiobook I listened to a bit of as um, a whole you can speak on it more. It's magnificent. Super fun. So well done. The audiobook is narrated by Bonnie Turpin, and she does just an exquisite job with all of the characters and especially with a narrative that is frequently jumping from perspective to perspective yeah. <laughs> and from internal 
monologue to dialogue, um, which is really hard to do in an audiobook. Do and I've I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and when someone screws it up, it's really confusing. But it's also super easy to screw up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agree. So basically, the gist of this is maybe we're out of practice at recording, but I feel like I'm all over the place. Um, read the book, read it in its book form, or listen to the book. Listen to its audiobook narrated by Bonnie Turpin. I think you're fine, Grace. This is our podcast. That's right. It's been a little while since we recorded, so I'm rusty. There's been a lot going on, big life changes, and uh, we, we appreciate your patience. Yeah, we've both had personal, professional, and political <laughs> obstacles of late. We'll leave obstacles. It. We'll leave it's it good, that. yeah. But we're here, and uh, we're, here. we're happy to, yeah. Yep. And we plan on continuing the podcast, even if it means just one episode a month at times, as it has been recently. We'll we'll always be coming back. There just might be a bit of a delay. So we appreciate all of you and your patience. Yeah, and we'd rather record less frequently than push ourselves and like not be able to bring what we want to it when we have a lot of other stuff going on. Exactly. I mean, a great thing about this podcast is that we don't make money off of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're going to do it in the way that feels the most fun. We're beholden to no masters. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. We, we just love doing this and it keeps us reading and writing and thinking and we love connecting with all of you. Yeah. So we'll be here. Just might be a bit of a delay. Yep. With that, let's get into this plot. This book is the first of a planned trilogy, as we mentioned. So... While a lot happens in this book, there are also things that are left unsaid that I anticipate we'll be learning about more in the coming books. And it ends on a huge cliffhanger, too. So obviously there's going to be like big changes in the second book already, we can tell. Yeah, definitely. Um, And the final sentence kind of flips the entire plan that the main characters have had had on its head, which is just wonderful. I love it. Yeah. The book takes place in a land called Orisha. Um, it is fictional. It is, but there are also real cities mentioned within it. Uh, they most the main one that I noticed was Lagos, which is the largest city in Nigeria, mm. and which is a massive city in the book as well. Um, so from the start, we, we do feel an interplay between our world and the world of the book. Yeah. Yeah. The main character initially is a 18 year old girl named Zaley. Zaley is a diviner, which means that she has had the gift of magic passed to her by the gods. That is the way that magic flows to people. But magic itself is no longer Active because the king of her land killed all of the magi when she was younger, including terrible. He's comically terrible. He's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Sauron, we'll talk more about him, but oh, like Sauron. Like Sauron. (laughs) (laughs) Just made that connection. Bad dad, bad king. Yeah. Bad guy. Bad guy. Um, He attempted to erase magic from their world yeah because he 
is scared of it. He's a big mean jerk. And he, uh, we learn later, but his father had attempted to supposedly work with the Magi and instead the Magi had uprisen and killed him and they killed Saran's first wife and his children and everyone he loved. And now he is really into genociding everyone (laughs) who threatens him in any small way. Yeah, he's a just tyrannical, just despot. Despot? Despot, yep. Um, We see... uh, his guards forcing unfair taxes out of the people in Zaley's village, Aloran, which is a fishing village. Um, and just generally things are violent, they are unsafe, and if you are one of the children of a magi, if you're a diviner, but you haven't had your magic awakened, they were allowed to live during the mass genocide um, called the Raid. Mm. But they are still treated as less than the non-magical folks yeah, who are, very much who are called Kosadon. Yeah. Then we switch perspective because the book is told through the perspective of three characters. First, Sali, then Amari, who is the princess of Orisha and the son of Saran. When it first switched to Amari, I uh, was vacuuming and uh, I didn't turn my volume up and then I missed the beginning of that chapter and then I turned it up and I was like, what the heck is going what? on now? Oh, <laughs> uh, we're in a palace. <laughs> yeah, so I had to go back. But... We're eating coconut pie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a pretty funny switch from mm-hmm. the like relative poverty of Sally to like the palace. Yeah, being told like that's too much dessert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so effective uh comparison there by mm-hmm. the author. Amari is my favorite character in the book. We'll get it out of great. the way right now. She's great, yeah. But she starts off as a very frightened person. Understandably. Who, has been living under the tyranny of her father, who is not just violent to people who are unlike him, but to his own children as well. Yeah, because his last family like wasn't strong enough, and that's why they died. Yes, so that dude has issues. Yeah, he did. Yeah, <laughs> so he naturally forces his two children to sword fight with real swords, and when his son enters Amari, he praises him. Yeah. That's the environment that she grew up in so amari realizes that her servant technically also her only friend binta is not in attendance yeah and she hears rumors that it's because people think that binta stole a piece of jewelry and she knows that in her father's palace that means she is probably going to be put to death So she's trying to find her and figure out what's going on. When she does, she witnesses a scene with her father, his commander, and Binta, where Binta touches a mysterious scroll and magic explodes forth from her. So something is afoot. (laughs) There's an artifact. It's bringing magic back. Amari listens to her dad and his commander, Kaya, talking about this and hears a little bit of the rumblings that these artifacts that were supposed to be destroyed during the raid Mm -hmm. weren't actually destroyed. They were put in an iron chest and sent to the bottom of the ocean. But as we all know, (laughs) 
that means they can still come back. If the one ring has taught us anything, yeah. they're going to show up again. Don't just put it in a pond. <laughs> Don't just put it like pe- water is not an infallible. You can't trust water. <laughs> yeah. You can't trust it. Soon, yeah. soon it's gonna or later, Smeagol's going to come along. Yep, yep. So Amari is at once mourning Binta and extremely... I mean, she's heartbroken. Um, She feels responsible for Binta's death in a variety of different ways. She feels like she should have done something. And this spurs her to go to the commander's room and take the scroll and escape from the palace. um, That's like, Amari is so brave. She's amazing. That's incredible. Like, she's been in that sheltered environment her whole life, and then she witnesses an act of inhumanity and is like, no, I'm out. I'm done. Yeah, that takes a lot of strength. We also have our first glimpses of the uh, colorism and racism present mm-hmm. in within the nobility compared to, I think, especially the diviners, but then also um, the commoners mm-hmm. um, because another noble girl has been bleaching her skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of discussion of how Amari is too dark mm-hmm. um, and things along those lines. So, I mean, already we've witnessed so much uh, regarding the schisms between not just the diviners and the Kosadan, but then also the nobility mm-hmm. and the commoners, and then also within the nobility itself. Yeah. Masterful. Yeah. No, it's, I've, when, uh, like at the very beginning of the book, even, it all just starts coming out and be like, oh, okay, like I clearly understand the prejudices and the allegories to real life here. Mm-hmm. Like that was very well done, especially yeah. for like such a young person. But, you know, as a white person, I didn't really have to think about any of that stuff until I was older because mm-hmm. it didn't, you know, I was in a bubble. So Amari and Zaley then cross paths. <laughs> Zaley is in Lagos trying to, and successfully, selling an incredible fish. Yeah, so she yeah. sells that fish for a fortune. Yeah, she, um, yeah. To a fool. Yeah. <laughs> Who's hungry. Yeah. Hungry fool. I mean, I can't lie. I've been a hungry fool many times. Um, <laughs> so she is so excited because she's going to be able to pay their taxes. They're going to be able to be safe and comfortable for at least a little while. And then Amari pulls her into a little space between two tents and is like, you have to protect me. The guards are after me. Yeah. Um, and Zaley, who is complex in many wonderful ways, mm-hmm. she does. She is impulsive, um, but tends to be impulsive in the direction of trying to prevent death, which makes sense. Yeah, she's um, she's trying to protect life. Yeah, exactly. Um, her mother, her type of magic which we'll talk more about a little bit was a reaper which means that she is connected to life and death and souls um she's a little like uh an abhorson yes from garth nix's uh yeah abhorson series Mm -hmm. yep exactly um and some of that definitely flows through zaylee yeah and so she is she helps amari escape um 
there is a mad dash through the market. And as they sail over the wall on their lion air, which we'll talk more about. It's basically later. a luck dragon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, there are these incredible big cats that have uh, horns and uh, like special not special powers, but they're just better than the big cats in our world. Yeah. Panthenaires, lionaires. Um, I can't remember the names of the others right now, but most of the animals in this book, which we'll talk about later, <laughs> um, are just like slightly more keyed up than yeah. the animals in our world, which yeah. I appreciate. So she, her brother Zane and Amari escape, but not before... Zaley first brushes past and then locks eyes with a mysterious general. Um, and Amari brushes past him as well. And he, we soon learn, is Anon, her brother. Mm-hmm. And when she brushes past him, the scroll that she's holding awakens his own magic. Whoa. Yeah. Because apparently there are some nobility that have diviner status, that have access to magic. And he gets a shock of white in his hair that he keeps trying to dye like throughout the book and it keeps coming back, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, because <laughs> that is the main marker of someone who has magic. They have white hair yeah. and they can't hide it or yeah. cover it up, really. So now Zaley and Amari are together they're in Zaley's village Lauren and they meet with Mama Agba yeah. who has kind of helped raise Zaley and instructed her um, in fighting and she reveals that she is a magi but she lost her hair to cancer um, and then no one really knew <laughs> that she was magic she did her best to hide it um, so I totally forgot about that, that she lost her hair because of an illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the way she says it, it sounds like she kind of welcomed the disease because she, she, cause she has foresight. Like she right. has, um, I can't remember. She's like a seer or yeah. something like yeah. that. She has divining powers. So they talk to Mama Agba. She touches the scroll. scroll. She gets her magic back. Um, Zaylee touches it as well and starts feeling things. And they're like, oh, my God, this is real. This scroll has the capacity to bring magic back to our people and give us a fighting chance against the oppressors. Mm -hmm. So they start coming up with a plan. They need to get to, they believe, in a temple called Chandomblé um, because Mama Agba sees it in a vision. She sees Zane, Amari, and Zaley climbing up to the temple. Um, so they're preparing to take that trip and then the uh, Orishan guards show up. And Inan too. With Anon and Kaya. Anon has been sent by his father to follow Amari and to try to get the scroll back so that they can actually destroy it, but then also bring Amari home. Yeah. Anon, at the same time, is starting to have some struggles because yeah. he has magic now, and his form of magic is a connector, which means that he can hear people's thoughts. And that is very overwhelming especially when you are commandeering guards and getting into battles. 
So when they are at the village, they kind of accidentally, kind of intentionally burn it down. Yeah, they just burn the whole thing down. Um, killing many of Zalian Zane's uh, community. Um, they manage to escape with their father, Baba, Mm-hmm. and with Mama Akba. Um, but then it becomes clear that they're going to need to set out on their own and attempt to get to Chandonblay and then figure out what to do next from there. They go to Chandonblay. Along the way, they do have run-ins with, not run-ins, but just interactions with other like villages and trading posts. So they're leaving a bit of a trail. But the more important thing is that Inan can hear Zaylee's thoughts. And I thought it was important that they sell Amari's headdress and dress yeah. because they need money really bad. And that's really nice stuff. But I think that that helps Inan track them too. Well, yeah, then they have proof yeah. of where they were. Um, and so as they're heading to the temple, Inan and Kaya and the accompanying guards are pretty hot on their trail. So at Chandonblay, they find one remaining priest. He is a centauro, which is someone who is tasked with maintaining the connection between the gods and the magi. He's covered with senbaria, which are the symbols that we mentioned earlier from the cover. So Lekan tells them a lot. Um, He shows them a mural that gives them insight into the creation of magic and the system of the gods and the connection between the magi on earth and the gods elsewhere. And he fully reawakens Zaylee's magic mm-hmm. um, so that she has complete control of it. And she is a reaper like her mother. So she also has control over the spirit world mm-hmm. and the connection between life and death. While they're finishing up their time there, Kaya and Inan show up. And And Kaya is the general slash lover of Saran. Yeah, she's the commander. So like the only person, um, yeah, who's like just below Inan because he's the prince. Um, But she's also Saran's, yeah, companion, (laughs) romantic companion of many years. Um, and they enter into a fight with Lacan, and he, he dies. dies. He sacrifices himself. He sacrifices himself so Amari Zalian Zane can get away. Inan, at that point, is trying to use his mental powers to find out where they're going. Isn't that when Kaya dies? Right. Yeah. yeah. Kaya catches him doing this freaks out she's like ah like you're one of them oh my gosh and he's trying to convince her otherwise but it doesn't quite work and then he accidentally kills her because he doesn't have control of his magic yep and he's suppressing it all the time which is causing a great deal of strain and is making him erratic and very emotional mm-hmm. Lacan tells them that they need to go to a different city called Ibeji um, because he's been trying to find the other artifact that's required to perform the ritual to bring magic back. It is called the Sunstone and he had a lead on it, but then he got called back to the temple by the to gods, meet them to meet them. Yeah. Yeah. They travel to Ibeji and there they find a, slave gladiator based economy yeah this um, this is some wild bad. stuff yeah it's not good yeah um we've heard throughout the book of the stocks which is the um, like forced 
prison the gulag yeah um that is mostly filled with diviners um because they're already being overtaxed they're being watched incredibly closely um they lost all of their family members during the raid there's just more of a chance that they're going to end up in the stocks Mm -hmm. so the slaves in this town are forced to compete in a battle and an arena. And the prize for winning one of these battles is the sunstone, yeah. which the uh, yeah announcer has ended up with somehow. Yes. Um, so they witness the mass slaughter of the slaves in these battles. And Zaley is like, okay, time to sign up. <laughs> um, so she... Enters the battle with Zane and Amari, helping her and with a battalion of other diviners um, who are slaves. <laughs> and she wins. Um, she does it. It's really tough for her for many reasons, but because she is a reaper, she feels every spirit as a body is being killed. And she can also feel the fact that people who didn't have comfortable deaths are trapped in this mortal coil. So there's a tremendous amount of power in this gladiatorial slave arena for her to draw Mm -hmm. from because there's been so much unjust and painful death. And she realizes that she's able to rise the raise those spirits and use them as her soldiers, but then also give them a, a kind of healing piece so that they can move on. Um, so she gets the sunstone. I also forgot to mention the third artifact, which is a bone dagger, which Lacan gives to them. Yeah. So they have all the that artifacts. That one was a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> that one was a freebie. <laughs> um, they have all the artifacts and they are ready to head to the island that they need to get to on the solstice in order to complete the ritual that can only be completed like every thousand years or something like that. It's, it's a hobbit type situation. Also a Majora's Mask type situation. I love a timed quest. Yeah. Uh, I love it when the clock is ticking down and, and you're you like, have to do this oh thing. Oh my God. Or no one will get another chance. Um, so they have a brief moment of playfulness when they're like splashing and throwing each other around in a river. And <laughs> then Anon shows up. Yeah. So Anon is full of rage. He's trying to kill Zaley. He is at this point thinking of his magic as a disease that's infecting him and he thinks, and he thinks Zaley put it in him. Yeah. He has also seen her in his like liminal space that he can visit um, <laughs> thanks liminal to his space. powers. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. No, it's great. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a reed filled river with a waterfall yeah. um, where he and Zaley meet up and trade insults. Yes. And then later Be mean to each other. Sexy times. And then they, um, yeah, then they bang in anyway. it. Anyway. <laughs> We're getting <laughs> <laughs> Anon and Zaley begin fighting Um and then some folks capture forest people. Some forest people capture Zane and Amari. So. Who I couldn't help but visualizing as Ewoks at first for some reason. Like mm. I have a lot of trouble with like formative memories finding their way into my mental images when I read books. Mm-hmm. Like I see a lot of people as looking like small Mario from like the original <laughs> Mario Brothers. <laughs> I have intrusive thoughts. Help me. 
I'll just leave that there. Oh, no. Yeah. Small Mario. I mean, it could be worse, I guess. He's like six pixels. How, like, how often does that happen? And who in particular, like, what characters have you seen as small Mario? Bilbo. <laughs> okay, well, that's the fault of the book, that the Hobbit edition that we read. The most up. amazing cover ever. Yeah, we have an episode on the Hobbit, um, and that does have a picture of the cover uh, of it on our website, but I'll, I'll put it up in this episode description, our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. Um, Thank you. So that you could take a look and see why Bilbo makes us think of Mario. So they, they were not Ewoks. They were human no. diviners. They're, they're diviners, yep. And some of them magi. Yes. Um, but they're completely cloaked. They can't see who they are. They have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So at first when it was happening, it was just like, Oh God, what, yeah. what fresh nightmare is this? What new devil is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so then Anon and Zaylee realize that they have to work together because each of their siblings, I mean, the people that they care about the most were captured by yeah. mysterious mm-hmm. assailants. Um, and in the process, Anon sees Zaylee's memories and has this deep, epiphany moment of seeing what her entire life has been like and how his dad is actually the oppressor yeah. not magic mm-hmm. and he is it's basically for, just an empathy high it is yeah yeah and it's both lovely and depressing because i do think there are many many people for whom it is impossible to even have a fraction of understanding yeah. of what um, many groups of people's lives are like. Yeah, of what it's like to be a, a member of an oppressed group. Yeah. Um, so for Anon, that does it. Thankfully, he can see other people's thoughts. I wish we could... Um, I know, right? Give that power to uh, 72 million people in our country That right would be now. cool, yeah. Um but that works, and he is trying to show Zaylee that he actually wants to help them. Yes. Um, and that his mind has changed. He doesn't want to destroy the art- artifacts. He wants to bring magic back. And that is pretty wishy-washy, though, I have to say. He goes all over we'll, the place. We'll talk more about his many faults yeah. <laughs> and deficiencies. <Boo>. <laughs> yeah, but he's also just like doomed. I mean, yeah, he yeah, wants, he's craving his father's love and acceptance and praise. And yeah. the greater power is in just given up on he, your dad. Let me. He's not even fated to become the ruler. His sister is. So, well, she yeah because she realizes that that's what has to happen also that i mean that was for me a literal fist punch in the air moment when amari says i am your future queen yeah yeah it's like haha get lost you non okay so anon and zaylee are trying to figure out how to save zane and Amari. Um, and in the process, we're hearing from Amari's perspective that they've been, uh, you know, captured by a, a group of diviners and magi who have escaped. They didn't get genocided. Mm-hmm. They were able to, and I'm not using genocided in a flippant way. It's no, like it's the best literal. way to yeah. describe what happened it's, to their people. There's a lot of genocide in this book. Um, and they've been hiding in the forest for years. Mm-hmm. Um, living quietly and peacefully. 
but they see Zine and Amari as a threat because yeah. they see that they have the artifact, the scroll at that point, I think the scroll and Sunstone are split up because mm-hmm. everyone's holding different artifacts to try to, yeah, keep things a One little up bit each other. safer. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if one person's captured, it doesn't right. mean that they're immediately screwed, ruined. Um, but the uh, girl who's in charge, her name is Zul. Um, she doesn't trust them and she has Zan tortured. Um, and while that's happening, Zaley and Anon are getting ready to attack. Um, so Zaley uses the sunstone to call forth greater power because she, yeah, she has the, so- the stone at that point. So the fight is raging and people are dying, but then Zul realizes that they shouldn't fight each other. They're using magic too. They're all on the same side. Yeah. And she begins to believe the, I mean, I get it, outrageous story that Zane and Amari were telling them. Yeah. But like, I'm a princess and I have the scroll that's going to bring back magic. We have to get to the island by the solstice. Okay, ha ha. (laughs) And throughout, there's the immediate mistrust of anyone of nobility who is the oppressor's and also immediately apparent to anyone who comes into contact with them. Like yeah. the second anyone sees Amari's face, they're like, no, I'm not letting her in. I'm right. not dealing with her. I don't trust her. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, they all come together and they decide they're going to help. They have a festival for the sky mother um, to celebrate that magic is going to come back and that everyone has returned. Um, the festival is like such a fun few chapters where like yeah. Zane and Amari are dancing and flirting with each other. Yeah, it's and just like let's, Anon and Zaley are making out in the forest. Yeah. Um, it's like let's put everything else on hold for a minute. <laughs> just have like this be like a fun like party story with romance. No, I know. It's <laughs> I I really I appreciated those chapters, but also, you know, at that point being like 500 pages into this book, I was like, well, what horrific new hell is about to be yeah. unleashed on no, them? I know, like there, there's a karmic debt for this enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it is that the Orishan guards show up and destroy their settlement. Really ruin the um, party. They kill Zul. They kill her right-hand man. Well, he like blows up Kwame um well right I'm sorry he sacrificed himself he is a burner and he um just burns up all the guards um and then extinguishes his life in the process um that's what I thought is like a blood magic thing right yeah 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 he does um use blood magic and then like life magic yeah um so in the process Zaley's captured mm-hmm. uh, it's really bad and Anon goes with the guards and is like oh I did it I captured her I was bad all along at least that's what he's telling his father yeah um and get back on his dad's good side and Zane and Amari get away and it's kind of like what yeah at this point this is um I knew this was going to happen I mean I think Anon's inability to uh, 
hold true to any one belief yeah. is pretty clearly telegraphed throughout the story. Yeah, he just jumps all over the place. He doesn't have like a true conviction very strongly. Well, he proposes a plan that at first to me just felt naive and like, well, I mean, when they're all like, teens. we can get married. And yeah, he's saying to Zaley, like, come with me. We'll work together. We'll unite we'll bring everyone. Bring the people together. Like, my father won't have a choice. He'll have to obey. Yeah. And um, like, dude, are you for real? The most depressing thing is that he's been immediate witness to his father's not just cruelty, but lack of regard for life. He should know better. Um, his whole his whole life. And I, the fact that... His dad made him strike down his sister when they were children. And the fact that Anari is able to pull herself out and away and like get perspective. It's a good foil to him. And it just makes him look a lot worse too, honestly, that he isn't able to be as strong as her. Yeah. I mean, Amari, like he may have physical strength, but she has like the, you know, internal she's strength. Got the, yeah. She's got the good stuff inside. Yeah. Um, and Amari is to her credit. Um, the moment she sees Binta get killed Mm -hmm. she is unwavering in her resolve um, to protect diviners Mm -hmm. so Zeli is tortured and she has maggot carved into her back which is the slur that is used against diviners and magi Mm -hmm. Inan tries to stop the torture in an inept way um, and still like isn't using his magic to protect her because he doesn't want his dad to see it. Um, He's a schlub. And then he goes and like throws up and passes out. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) not helpful. Not not useful. Not Um, helpful. Meanwhile, Amari and Zane amass a force to attack like a castle and get her back while Inan is just like blue, 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 blue. Yep. They go to a secret diviner speakeasy. Yep. Um, Pretty cool. And uh, that's filled with people that Zane knows from his uh, like traveling athletic days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When he was on the varsity football team. Yeah, well, no, it, yeah, the, the game they play isn't football. Agbone is the name of the game that Zane used to play, like, back when, I mean, things weren't good, but, like, he was able to at least play this Have a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, uh, yeah, bring a force together. They give them magic, their magic back using the sunstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they attack the fortress, um, they and they get Zaylee out. Get Zaylee out. Um, unfortunately, in the process of being tortured, she has lost her magic. Yeah, she like loses her connection to her magic because of her traumatic experience. Yeah, um, and she knows that, uh, but is doesn't really tell anyone yet. Um, and they leave Anon there um, because at this point, it's pretty it's pretty clear whose side he's on. Um, and he also says, I can help fight from the inside, I'm but like, I think okay, I don't dude. think anyone is taking him seriously at this point. No. So they, they keep going because at this point they're really running out of time. Um, but they got a lot left to do. Yep. So they continue on, they get to a seaside town that's known as a mercenary town. Um, and there, Zaley walks into the first cave that she gets to and hires the mercenary leader there to... Rowan. 
Rowan hires the mercenary leader Rowan, who she had um, been pickpocketed by earlier in the story. I didn't understand the accent that the narrator was given Rowan. I'm pretty sure it was like Russian, which I, was pretty I interesting. Was, I, I didn't listen to those parts, so I yeah. never heard it. Um, oh, it was but pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, Rowan's a very fun character. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just like the sexy pirate guy. <laughs> he's very Captain Jack Sparrow, but he's yeah. better than that because he's very adept at what he does. Yeah, he doesn't have like the haplessness. No, yeah, he's not goofy. He's just cool. Yeah, um, but full of jokes, a real jokester. Yeah, um, and she hires him and his men to take them to the island, which is about to appear because it's almost the solstice. Yeah. And they get there. They overtake a warship on the way. Um, Rowan shows Zaley that he also has been uh, tortured and he has scars of mm. 23 lines up his arm, which represent 23 of his men that were killed in front of him. And he's like, let's process our trauma together. And then she does it in a sexy way. Yeah, and <laughs> and she's like, come on, Zaley. Madeline. But <laughs> she goes and has an amazing conversation with Amari. <laughs> I know. It's just still my like little Madeline inside being like, no, don't give up on the sexy times. <laughs> okay. Well, instead, there's an exchange that I loved a and I thought was one of the most beautiful parts of the book. A beautiful bonding moment between two women. Yeah, no, that, where, that uh, part was great where Amari she brushes her brushes hair. Sailor's yeah. hair and braids it um, and tells her that she... Uh, looks powerful and beautiful and the two of them sleep together so that they will feel safer through the night and it's very like it's a beautiful like bonding uh, just moment of well and they talk through how they've both grown since they've met each other and yeah. didn't trust each other and Zaley hated her because of all she represents it, it was a very good uh, um, character development scene yeah it was so lovely but you know yeah she could have gone hot pirate dude <laughs> And he's not a pirate. We shouldn't call him a pirate. He's a mercenary. I kept picturing him as Sheik from Ocarina of Time, which is... <laughs> which I love because Sheik is not a real person. He's just Princess Zelda in disguise. No, I know. Just showing, Which's you know... pretty funny. My, yeah. Um, what I think is right. hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just a woman dressed as an unspeaking man <laughs> with a lot of bandages. And anime hair, like, stabbing out from their head. <laughs> um, anyway, oh so they they get to the temple. They disguise themselves as guards in the armor that they stole on the warship that they overtook. Um, Again, very video game quest. Yeah, for sure. They make it inside the temple, and it's time to perform the ritual. They have the artifacts. They're there. They're ready. And then Saren shows up and pulls out Zaley's dad, um, who he has kidnapped, because Inan told him that that is the way to stop her from performing the ritual. Because Inan, like, is genuinely afraid enough of magic to be like, yeah, former kind of love interest, let's get her dad out there. Like, let's put him on the block. Yeah, and he thinks he's back to, yeah, really just being on his dad's side and yeah. thinking, like, we have to crush everyone mm-hmm. else in a desperate 
bit for our own safety. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a lot to unpack. Um, <laughs> and Zaylee, I mean, she has her entire life witnessed first her mother being brutally murdered in front of her mm-hmm. um, and then so many other loved ones uh, she's not only seen happen but since her magic has come back she feels their deaths and yeah. their spirits passing um, and she can't she can't handle it happening to her father so she does lay down the artifacts in exchange for him everybody's mad and then Sauron shoots her or shoots Baba anyway and he dies. And that unleashes all the magic that Zaylee thought was gone. Her yeah. righteous fury is back. And she's ready to perform the ritual, which she does with blood. Yeah, because Anon destroyed oh, the sunstone or yeah, scroll. Sorry. Um, because Anon tricks her into destroying the scroll by holding it up in front of him because he sees how angry she is. He's such a donkus. And then at that point, he uses magic to protect his dad from dying. And as soon as his father sees that he has magic, tries to kill him, he stabs him. Um, He crushes his hand, you know, says the classic, you're no son of mine. All the bad dad stuff that we have come to expect. That's when Amari kills Sauron, right? Sauron. So Amari witnesses this happening and then enters into battle against her father. And she hesitates for a moment, but then is like, kills him good. Killing you. She kills him. Yeah. And Anon is just like, gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. gurgle. (laughs) Sorry, I really don't like I don't want to laugh at his death, but I don't think he dies. I think he'll be fine. I think they're bringing him back. Yeah, we don't really know. He's too big a source of conflict. We don't don't witness him actually dying. It's true. Um, So then Zaylee, because the scroll has been destroyed and she can't see the ritual, she uses blood magic and calls on her ancestors and calls on the gods to complete the ritual. Um, She kind of dies while doing that, but then she gets to see and talk to her mom. It reminded me so much of Dane um, in Wild Magic. It's exactly like Dane. Yeah. we are talking about the Immortals series by Tamara Pierce. Gotta get that Tamara Pierce plug <laughs> in. <not> familiar. <laughs> uh, we have yeah. a bunch of Tamara Go, Pierce yeah, episodes. Tons of Tamara Pierce yeah. episodes. So go check it out. Um, and she gets to talk to her mom, who tells her that her father is there now, too. And it's peaceful. And he's happy. Um, but then she says, you know what? But it's not time for you to be here yet. And sends her back. And then at the very end of the book is Zaylee waking up and saying, did we do it? Did the ritual work? And then Amari is like, and she has magic. It's like, whoa. And then the book ends. And then the book ends. (laughs) So we're either leaving with the um, understanding that either everyone got magic or the nobility specifically also got magic. Oh. And I'm not sure which it is. I was wondering if there was going to be something like that happening because uh, Inan already received his magic awakening. Um, 
And the whole point is that there is no magic in the nobility. So I was wondering if, I don't know, or maybe everyone who is there got magic. I'm not sure. Like it was yeah. a powerful ritual and we don't know. I figured that I have to everyone, read the second book to find out. I figured everyone got magic, but yeah. Well, that's what I thought I'm would be sure. like kind of the neatest um, upending mm-hmm. of the exactly. book's approach to like what is power, who has it. Right now it's been stripped from our people because we don't have magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so then everyone having it really raises a Would lot of new questions. Yeah. Oh my God, that took so long. <laughs> um, so Thank you for coming with us on this summary sode. <laughs> yeah, it was going to be a long one. Um, so we won't do old and new impressions because we haven't read this book before. Um, I do want to just start off by saying that I did feel from the first chapter that this book was going to be about police violence and murder of black people mm. in the United States. Mm. Um, and then I don't know if this was in your audiobook, um, but there is an author's note immediately after the book. Ah, I never listened to the author's note. You have to listen. Ah. Um, where Tomi Adiemi says this book is explicitly about the murder of black women, men and children okay. um, by police. Probably couldn't listen to that one. Yeah, you should have listened to it. Um, hmm. But I, I appreciated her being so explicit about that. I yeah. Mean, from the first pages, I was like, this is an ACAB book. <laughs> yeah, this is like an a, about authoritarian violence, um, like in specifics, the authoritarian violence we're witnessing in the United States. And there's a line where Anon says... My guards are good. There's some good ones. Like, they can help us. You know, we just have to get rid of the bad ones. Uh, And there is a moment when Zaylee says to Anon, after he's saying, we just got to find some guards. They'll help us. She says, if your guards were here, everything would be just as broken, just as hopeless. There's no living under their tyranny. Our only salvation is power. Mm. Um, And... There, this message is repeated again and again. There's such an interesting uh, discussion of what power means and how it can be good yeah. or whether it can be good. Yeah. And I think the second book is going to be really important because people have magic again. And like there's this ongoing discussion of, well, we can't show our magic as being evil or like when the burner uses his magic to kill all the guards, then Inan and his dad use that as justification of, well, we have to stamp this out. But how is that any worse than them killing entire communities of people? It's just all justified through whatever lens they want to use to make them feel like they're in the right. But what is the right? Right. It's a very common, like, authoritarian society theme of like, well, we're just doing the violence to prevent them from violencing on us more later. (laughs) Uh, And it just goes in circles. Yeah. Zaley also explicitly says to Anon, your people, your guards, they're nothing more than killers, rapists, and Mm. thieves. The only difference between them and criminals is the uniform they wear. So I did, uh, you know, check to see what she had said about the writing of this book. Um, 
because the, I mean, the author's note, like I said, is explicit and, uh, I encourage you to listen to it, Madeline, <laughs> I encourage anyone who, um, where she names some of the black Americans who oh, have been murdered, okay. um, and talks about why that made this book important for her to write. Um, and yeah, she has a blog post from 2015 on her website. Um, so a few years before this came out, um, that is about why she writes and she, um, yeah, just really puts forth there. Like, well, I write about what I'm thinking about and anytime, anytime a black woman, man or child is murdered by Mm -hmm. police, I feel it. And as we all uh, do. Okay. And that's with like um, Zaley's feeling when people die. Yes. That's interesting. And she's constantly throughout the book to naming the people who have died. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, that's true. That's and, a very strong thread. Uh, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah. No, that really is. Um, so that's my, Oh God, <laughs> tired. <laughs> that was my major impression coming away from the book. Yeah. And that is one thing that I thought was so uh, spectacular about it. And one reason why I'm happy we're reading contemporary YA books, mm. um, because wow. I have been going through some mental health stuff lately. And so of course, whenever I read a book like this, the through lines that pop out the most to me are like the coming of age story And you can pretty much always work into a coming of age story, Mm -hmm. a like, oh, I see this as a coming to terms with your own mental health and like growing up through that journey, Um, which is, and I've been reading a lot of uh, fantasy lately, especially like, you know, magical powers awakening type fantasy. And that just reminds me so much of like a plethora of mental health stuff about yeah. like coming to terms with what you are and trying to use it in a good way instead of it like coming out of you in such a bad way because it's untrained like with Enon. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I think, the coolest part about his character mm-hmm. is his magic. Not yeah. to interrupt. I, I love what you're saying. I want to hear more. No, no. And that's just of like you have to learn how to use it and how to be with it and exist mm-hmm. with it. Otherwise, it will be like an incredibly destructive force. But if you can figure out how to work with it, it can become like literal magic is, you know, just something that I think a lot about when I read a book like this, because that's what hits my own personal experience the most, which is like totally different from what you were just talking about. But I think it also shows how deep this book is that you can get like, you know, you can look at precisely what the author is saying that it's about and Mm -hmm. then you can get an entirely different experience out of it just Mm -hmm. like based on your own experience, which is uh, pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And um, building off of what you were saying about it being a coming of age story, I also really appreciate that we see the development of three different characters through their own words because Mm we trade off first person perspectives with Amari, Zaley, and Anon. which was and smart. the three different ways in which you yeah. can grow up, mm-hmm. um, because the three of them take very different paths. Yeah. Um, although they are going through this quest together, at least most of the time, 
Um, because Zaylee goes from being angry, not trusting herself, mm-hmm. not she again and again says, why do they want me to do this ritual? Why is anyone trusting me to lead them? Mm-hmm. I, I can't do this. I feel like I'm failing again and again. People yeah. are dying around me and I can't stop it. To feeling that she does have some power. Some agency. Some agency. And then I think more importantly, going from feeling uh, so alone to tapping into her ancestral line Mm -hmm. and getting to, uh, yeah, see, (laughs) I'm starting to cry. (laughs) It's a very powerful book. Oh my God, this... This month, it's yeah, been so much. Um, yeah, it's a very getting, emotional book. It is, so it makes yeah. sense that it would elicit strong emotions in the reader. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and you know how, like, when you have a day where you've already cried, like the next cry totally. is, is so close. It's the shampoo effect. <laughs> That's honestly, people talk about the shampoo effect <sighs> in terms of shampoo, but I only think of it in terms of crying. <laughs> Can you like? expound on the shampoo effect this is what i think it is apologies okay. if i'm totally wrong and if this is something i don't I, think i've heard this before that if you shampoo your hair once and then you rinse it out and then you shampoo it again there's more suds <laughs> that's not what i thought you're gonna say i didn't think it would be literal i thought it was gonna be some kind of metaphorical concept the shampoo effect sounds like mysterious to me that's what I think it is. I don't know if that's right, but it reminds me of crying because if you cry once a day, then you cry more, you get, you get more tears a second time. I'm Googling the shampoo effect. Oh, I hope it's not just something um, I made up. Urban Dictionaries says, ready for this one, a residual drug or alcohol phenomenon in which during a period after a heavy binge, only a small amount of the recently abused substance is needed to reactivate your buzz. Um... Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> but it says it's named after what happens in the shower when you rinse and repeat. Only a tiny bit of shampoo is needed the second time around to achieve a full sudsy lather. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it in both contexts. Yes. Okay, great. Um, how did we get here? Oh, from crying. Because you're crying. <laughs> I'm forever going, thank you. I have a phrase now that I can use for when I've already had a cry and the next cry is just around the corner and something very small is going to happen. Times like these really make us figure stuff out about ourselves. (sighs) The shampoo effect. Um, So, yeah, she. I'm finishing up talking about each character's development. Sally gets to see her mother... She, I think, can have some peace at her father's passing because he, uh, she knows where he is now. Mm. He's in death with his wife, um, who is he's been like broken since yeah, she died. He hasn't like he been just wants to be himself. with her. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think something that uh, is very powerful for Zaley, and some of which she, you know, passes on to. Anon because he has the ability to see her thoughts and memories and others, but he's still like suppressing it. So mm-hmm. see what happens there um, in the coming books. But 
Zaley um, sees her father as a child mm-hmm. um, when he is dying because she sees all of his memories and like the way that he could once smile before a lifetime of pain and violence and mm-hmm. oppression. Um, and, you know, all of this makes her recognize her own strength and power. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, I think, is ready to be a fair, thoughtful leader of people. Yeah. Um, I think she is still a little more, uh, Zaylee is like a bit chaotic for sure, but that's part of like who she is yeah. and what makes her. her part of her story and vibe. So that's her path. I also love that her hair becomes curlier and curlier as after her magic has been awakened. And then by the end, she just has this like glorious cloud of curls and the narration keeps saying, it's usually Amari being like, all the men are staring at her (laughs) because she is magnificent. I I totally get why all the reviews when I was looking at them were all like black girl magic because it's, it's very that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, then Amari, her journey is oh, yeah. one that I hold very dear. Um, she goes from being shy and scared and trying to hide and feeling unable to stand up to anyone to killing her father. Yep. <laughs> yep. So who needs to die? Glorious. Who needs to die? Um, and by killing him, she is you know, essentially taking the throne as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah. she, throughout the book, you know, in, initially like Zaylee and Zane is always like kind of crushing on her. So he's like a bit softer toward her even when they first meet. Yeah. Um, but Zaylee is so cold and harsh toward her because she sees her as the embodiment of everything that killed her mother, which yeah. I totally understand. Yeah. And but- which Amari understands too. Mm-hmm. She's so empathetic. Um, she understands why Zaylee hates her and like doesn't judge her for it. And she's also able to like be hard on herself, but then also accept that she's growing. Like when she thinks about, I was just cool with Binta, like being my servant my whole life. And like, yes, I wasn't witnessing myself, the things my father was doing, but it was close at hand. If I wanted to figure it out, if I wanted to see it, I could have seen it. It's an excellent, um, parable about like, finding out how privileged you are and calling your past Mm -hmm. self out while being like, well, I'm going to do better in the future and I'm just going to like keep educating myself and keep being less crappy. And like, it's a story about giving yourself permission to do that, which is really, really effective. Yeah. We, we need to be cognizant of how those experiences should push us in a better direction. Yeah. 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 And Amari is, is so good at that. I, I love the moment, like I mentioned earlier, when, you know, she thinks to herself, I've never said this out loud, but now I realize this is how it has to be. And then mm-hmm. she says, I'm your future queen. Yep. And everyone's <laughs> like, oh, I'll do it. <laughs> um, and I, I just love witnessing uh, her growth throughout yeah. the book. Um, yeah. yeah, she's really glorious. And she loves to eat, which we'll talk about during pretend food. Yeah. <laughs> There's also a really cute um, last few pages in the ebook that were uh, an annotated chapter that Tomi Ariemi did and then put into the book. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, it, maybe it was from when she was writing it, I'm not sure. But they're also like 
kind of commentary that she was clearly adding for the reader, but it was the chapter from the Sky Mother celebration that is from Amari's perspective and that, that has the line um, that like her dress had initially fit well, but now it was straining at the hips and Tommy was like, familiar. <laughs> it was like, she's my favorite character because she's so guided by food. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> me too. Yeah, I mean, food is is what motivates me to get out of bed most days. Yeah. If I get up and start existing, then I can eat. Yeah, my partner and I often, like, talk on the phone and decide what we're having for dinner before, like, noon. Yeah, I've been experiencing that with with you guys since I moved to Seattle. (laughs) Like, at 1 o'clock on a Sunday, I'd be like, so what what do you think we should eat for dinner tonight? (laughs) So anyway, the last main character's development to discuss is a nonce, which obviously takes a different path than the other two. And I think is a really, really important character for us to see and get to know, because this is what a lot of people in real life are like, Um, where he not only witnesses firsthand the death and destruction caused by his father and his father's forces and Mm -hmm. by extension himself. Mm -hmm. Um, He is able to travel into Zaylee's mind and witness her experience, her life experience. Mm -hmm. He sees her mom dying. He feels her endless torrent of heartbreak and suffering. And he still ends up kind of crappy. And he very crappy, some might say. After those experiences, he is still so. It's kind of like the further away he gets from it, the more he reverts, and he like gives himself permission to revert. But like, but I do think he technically grows because he's not just regressing; he is becoming set in his own beliefs that magic is dangerous. Um, he grows in like a not good, not entirely good way. Well, right. And I think that's like a form of growth that we need to be very cognizant yeah. of. And that's why I think it's important that he's in the book. He makes me think of like, like a red pillar or like a QAnon no, totally. conspiracy theorist. Or like, like, it reminds me when someone's like, oh yeah, like such and such used to be a hippie in college, but they're super conservative now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, really? Like, let's examine. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah he's he's accepting but also leaning into his position as his father's son yeah i mean yeah it's dark but uh getting to see it through his own perspective is important yeah i think it's interesting Okay, let's talk about um, the magic system. Um, yeah. Because I love how clearly defined it is, and I really appreciate that it hasn't been completely forgotten because I was worried at the start. I yeah. was like, all the magi have been killed for the most part. I yeah. mean, there are enclaves there. of people that manage to survive, but they have to hide. They have to, yeah, spend their lives trying not to share any of their wisdom or their power with anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you have a figure like, Mama Agba, who is the first one in the book who gives us like a little bit of an idea of what's going on. Was her not having hair part of how she survived? I didn't remember how yes. she survived. Yeah, okay. yeah. That she was able to hide. Because she could hide. Yeah. yeah. They they did not know that she was okay. a Magi. Um, and uh, so the, the magic system, the magic is given by the gods to particular individuals. Yeah, and it's like a link. There's like a special spiritualism 
like reverence mm-hmm. mythology because it is like it has that religiousness. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, um, Orisha is uh, from Western African folklore, mm-hmm. um, which Tomi Adeyemi studied. Um, she uh, So she graduated from Harvard with an honors degree in English, and then she got a fellowship to study West African mythology, religion, and culture and culture in Salvador, Brazil. And that was where she came up with the inspiration for Children of Blood and Bone. I wonder, that's interesting because, I wonder if that's because at its core, this reminds me of Lord of the Rings, not in a derivative way, but like in a constructive way. And that would make sense if it's very like based on deeply rooted Mm -hmm. mythology, but it's like a new story Mm -hmm. with all those elements. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I I said this to Madeline earlier, um, but I couldn't shake this feeling when I was reading this book that this was the Star Wars that I wanted. And I don't know if that makes sense. No, it reminded me of Star Wars some too. um, not even necessarily in plot beats, but in the the epic that's contained within these pages. And like, I'm just so, like I said, excited that there is going to be probably multiple major motion pictures made from these books. Yeah. Um, because I think this is the type of story that should be like very widely available and accessible. And unfortunately yeah. a lot of people aren't going to pick up a, you know, pretty thick YA fantasy book. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm amazed by like the derision I met with from a range of people when I say like, oh yeah, I do a YA fantasy podcast and like, yeah, people are just so dismissive um, of the value of this type of work. Um, but it is very, I think the the Star Wars thing about it is that it, it feels like such a exciting mm-hmm. and important story um, and the and odds is- are so staggering. Right. Yeah. And just the, um, you know, the small revolution, like by a group of people that has been, you know, all but stamped out. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not interested in drawing like specific parallels between this and Star Wars because I think they're super, super different, but I just, I think this is like what we deserve instead of Star Wars, Wars instead of the new Star Wars movies specifically is what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, and whereas this is not, Tomi Adiyami also said that one of her inspirations was um, the Hunger Games movie franchise, specifically because she had heard about the series but had never really picked it up, and then she saw a trailer for the first movie, and she was like, "Yeah, this looks great," mm-hmm. and she went and read the series and loved them. But then when the movies came out, she was really struck by the anger that people had because some characters were black in the movies when they didn't think that they were in the Mm, books right which is like always a a super fun cultural backlash when we're when like it happens a lot in gaming too where people are like like you made this political because you didn't make it all like white people (laughs) like that's the basic thesis of all of those arguments (laughs) Really, the, the whole white fragility is staggering. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then she was like, well, I'm going to make books where all the characters are. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but that, that was also part of her inspiration for this series. Um, 
Anyway, the magic system uh, consists of different types of magi clans who have different specific abilities. And that I loved. Mm. I mean, I that reminded me of the Circle of Magic series by Tamara Pierce, yeah. um, where there's distinct different magical affinities. Yeah. Um, and like we mentioned, Zaley is a reaper and on is a connector. I wonder what Amari is. Yeah, I'm really excited to find out. Yeah. Um, I wonder if she'll be like a healer. Yeah, I think that she that has that kind sense. of vibe. Yeah, I loved the all the moments when she would just there'd be like stress and people be freaking out and Zaley's right. trying to deal with her trauma. And then she'd just be like quietly standing there with the sunstone like, what's up? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just just a big sweetie. Yeah. Um, but uh, some of the others we encounter are burners who have control over fire. Um, we learn about grounders and welders um, who have control over like the earth and mm-hmm. iron. Um, I think that's that's another reason why I keep being like, I want to play this game because the characters would be so highly customizable, you know? Yeah, like you could sure. try out all of these different schools. So many of different magic. paths that you could take. Again, any developers <laughs> for huge studios that listen to our podcast to create Skyrim, but children, blood and bone. Something that I thought was really cool was the duality of um, the health and disease magic, where mm. you could be a healer or you could be a cancer. Yeah. Um, the cancer mage magi was really cool, who would just like strike down the guards with pox. It's wild. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Um, and then there are titers who control water, um, winders, air, lighters, light. Um, and, uh, then the seers who Mama Akba is a seer. And then I don't think we met one of these, but in the, uh, epilogue, there's a list, um, the tamer who is a magi of animals. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I want to be. <laughs> yeah. Which is really cool. And I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to, uh, show up in book two. Um, cool. yeah, but, but it, it's always fascinating to get to know a new magic system. And I love that both of the, um, contemporary YA fantasy books we've covered so far, the last one that we did was Akata Witch mm. by Nettie Okorafor, um, which is also rooted in Nigerian folklore. Yeah. They are fun companions, um, Akata Witch and Children of Blood and Bone, because Akata Witch happens in like a contemporary mm-hmm. world. It's so current. Yeah. And it's very, I think Nettie Okorafor has said when she's talked about um, Afrofuturism mm. and... Uh, uh, Jujuism mm. um, is really interested in looking at uh, these different West African traditions through a modern lens. And versus um, Children of Blood and Bone feels very ancient mm-hmm. and like mythological. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But of course, the two are radically different. Like, and the mm-hmm. magic systems are so different. And I'm just loving getting these different. Um, types of magic and types of fantasy that aren't coming from a Western canon. Yeah. 
So speaking of tamers, let's get into animals. animals. like animals in this like book. Animals in this book. I would please like many lionaires to carry me around town and just growl at people that I don't want getting near me, which is everyone. <laughs> Especially in these times. Nyla is a really fun character, and I like that they have a little bit of a deus ex lionair who can like hop in and just be like boo yeah <laughs> carry yeah. them away that's why i say like it it's a little bit luck dragony in the way mm-hmm. that when nyla shows up she's like yeah <laughs> take us away and then i think there are leopard airs right uh, yeah then there are other interesting animals that are again very similar to creatures from our world but, but just with kind of souped up just like a k- kicked up little twist like yeah. when Zaley goes into Rowan's cave. There are, I can't remember what they call them, but they're clearly bats, but they're like extra bats. <laughs> like gull bats. Hang on. Or zoo bats. Zaley is talking about the giant crystals in the ceiling of the cave. They provide a faint light, illuminating the two-tailed batters gathering around batters. their glowing cores. The batters seem to watch me as I move through the cave. Their chorus of squeaks is the only sound oh. I hear. <laughs> chorus of squeaks. Um, yeah, and the lioners have like little horns yeah. on their heads, but then are also just very large. And they're um, also like specially intelligent. Yeah, right? I mean, they seem to be very aware of what's going on and, and how to help. Yeah, they're like dogs, only bigger and smarter and, and cats and instead cat-ier. of dogs. Yeah. <laughs> they're like dogs, only cats instead of dogs. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, they're but very I mean, loyal. There's no, that, I like, get what you're saying. domestication, yeah. like that um, symbiotic mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they were really cool. And that was just a fun addition to the story that like, they didn't need to be there, but I love yeah. that there is this entire um, like group of different species of animals uh, that are just it's extra just special and yeah. living in this world as well. And it makes the world come alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no that that was a that was a really cool addition that yeah. I appreciated. Pretend food, pretend food. So there is a lot of questing, um, which means that we're going to get some... Hungry times. Hungry times, but... But also questing food. Some travel times. Um, There are very few feasts, and they're fraught. Um, But something that I loved from the very start is that the introduction to Amari is her getting in trouble for eating too much coconut pie. Yeah. um, Which... Same. Uh, <laughs> I uh, any party of any kind growing up, um, I was just so fixated on the food beyond anything else, and like that is literally like still the only thing that gets me to go to parties is when I'm like, well, the food there will be like hors d'oeuvres, probably some dessert, something really sweet, like, and I can just eat it instead of talking just like anything that's been catered there's an instant fire inside of me where i'm going to sample everything that's been provided and as the partner of um a doctor <laughs> well back in the times when there were gatherings yeah, um, obviously this is the before four times the food is really good and let me tell you <laughs> i'm kind of bummed that there won't be holiday parties this year mm-hmm. because last year I ate some good stuff. Yeah. Some really good stuff in really weird places. Um, one, we were in like 
a lab's office. So it was just like a bunch of cubicles <laughs> and everyone was like milling around. I felt like I was at like a Dunder Mifflin office <laughs> party. The parties, um, the doctor parties you guys go to just sounds so fascinating. So weird just behind the, and these are the parties thrown by like the different, um, uh, departments right. it's not, they're suck. not pers- like personal parties lawyer um, parties is just everyone trying to one-up each other yeah no these are these are way chiller i i did drop like a little mushroom puff on someone's shoe and she didn't mind too much <laughs> just throwing food at people <laughs> i'm fun at parties okay <laughs> um yeah there was someone with like an array of different wines just at reception uh there was an, an older physician in the back room and he had his whole whiskey collection that he brought and he was just giving out little sips of whiskey to people. Okay. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of booze, a lot of booze. Well, but it, 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 people weren't getting drunk. It was just like little amounts of different drinks. I don't, um, I don't drink at all. So you, I you know. give me a tiny amount of wine. I'll fall over. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, party food is really important. I'll never forget our brother Patrick's baptism because I think it was the first time I had catered food. And where was the party at our house? The jelly beans? No, no that was my communion. Yeah, you Pop were you were like jelly four beans. or so. Right, right. I, you probably don't remember, yeah. but it was at the house that we lived in at the time. The like little after baptism party, and there were like these tiny tacos, like mm. miniature tacos, and they blew my mind. <laughs> Were they taquitos? <laughs> Chris is just like, Daddy Tacos. I think I was too young to be able to, yeah, to identify to anything, yeah. but I was just, just like, like food. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll always remember one of your birthday parties where one of your friends what had celiac disease, which at the time was unheard what? of. Yeah, like what the hell is it? And and I think she also was diabetic. She was like oh. had a few things so going she had on. A lot of so she brought all her own food, oh. and she just had these little Tupperwares, and she had a little Tupperware of her own gluten free, dairy free cake. And I will never forget ready. just watching her and being like, "Wow, we all lead." <laughs> very different lives um but anyway all my party memories are food related i remember the first wake i went to because i ate six of the ham sandwiches they had that was also catered wow yep. taking a different track as now. a small child yep i yep are you talking about great aunt carol i am and everybody was so happy at the wake and i was like y'all were just crying in the church i don't understand this dying thing i was like six years old yeah <laughs> Grief is complicated and yeah. funerals are very complicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, party food. That's how we got off on this topic. Uh, All the way into death is very complicated. <laughs> complicated. <laughs> this may be our, our longest episode yet. Um, okay, but we're, we're getting there. So I love the introduction of coconut pie. I really really want coconut pie yeah it sounds really um, good there are types of coconut pie i absolutely love i just don't i love the flavor of coconut i just don't like dry shredded coconut um i don't mind it but a creamy fresh coconut pie is or ice cream chef's kiss yeah coconut ice cream i do i love coconut milk based ice creams yeah. um it's very rich so delicious yeah. uh if you live in seattle 
Molly Moon's vegan ice cream they is all coconut of, yeah. milk based for the most part. Yeah. Um, and it's exquisite. It's very good. Um, yep. So we get mentions of, you know, courtly princessy foods like sweet cakes and yeah, coconut pie that's taken away. Um, and I love Amari is uh, just sweet tooth in general. Like she made me think of you because she would always yeah. be talking about the sweet, <laughs> sweet cakes. Specifically. Yeah. Um, there are uh, lots of mentions of like street food um, and cart yeah. food essentially mm-hmm. in the different cities that they go in. Get mentions of sweet bread and cinnamon in the merchants' quarters, um, spiced antelope which is another fake animal. Um, that is like a yeah a souped up antelope, <laughs> um, souped up antelope. spiced antelope hentai meat um, from one of the carts in the the lakeside town, which mm. sounded really lovely. Yeah. Um, then we get the great moment where, uh, in order to test Amari, Zaley shakes up papaya out of a tree, um, and then just like whips it at her head. <laughs> Trying to force her to show that she can fight daily. <laughs> um, it's like some courtroom drama type stuff. As a parent, you, where you throw a ball oh, at someone yeah. and they catch it with the other hand. Yeah. Or like as a parent, just checking your kid into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> well, that's a little different. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, then Amari slices the papaya in half yeah, with a little hidden she has blade. Yeah takes a triumphant bite um so i appreciate papaya as instruction um she talks about eating amari talks about eating foxer meat um which i assume is a fox uh and coconut milk while they're on their travels and she says um eventually she starts feeling uh, better and more comfortable and she says even boxer meat and coconut milk start to taste like seasoned hen and tea from the mm. palace kitchen so a hen is just normal i guess you gotta have but. some animals <laughs> that aren't different chill. yeah um then moin moin pies i don't know if i'm pronouncing that correctly um but they are mentioned a few times and I look them up and it looks like they can take many different forms. Um, but they're essentially a steamed or oven baked bean pudding. Okay. Um, that is, it seems like kind of like typically bean? savory, but yeah, like a pea cake, okay. a bean cake. And it, those sound very intriguing and I want to try them. And there's a lot of mentions of, I don't know how to pronounce this. Jollof rice? Is that how they I say it? I think it's jollof, jollof rice. rice. Yeah. Um, and the narrator reads the book with not a Nigerian accent, so mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how yeah. to pronounce things. Um, but jollof rice, which uh, Zaley, the smell of really reminds her of her mom. So th- I, I love those like sweet food scent callbacks yeah. to yeah. treasured memories. Um, scent is... A wonderful thing. I, I eat a lot of really simple foods when I'm stressed out, like simple foods for children, because it reminds me of when I was a children and things were simpler. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's also at the festival for Sky Mother, um, Amari says, I bite into another moin moin pie as I watch the festivities, savoring the melting of the steamed bean cake in my mouth. A diviner walks past with a platter of shuku shuku, and I almost cry when the sweet coconut hits my tongue. <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. And she's now traveling and, um, yeah, just getting wrecked. Yeah. It's, <laughs> been, it's been a tough time. And then my last pretend food quote is from the same page when Amari says, I wipe the crumbs from my lips, desperate to hide the fact that I've eaten my way through half the festival. <laughs> All too relatable. I get it. And I'm sorry, I lied. That is not the last one. My final quote is from the sweet scene that made me cry earlier when Zaylee is with her mother mm. in the death slash afterlife. Yeah. And she says she breathes in her mama's scent. And after all this time, she still smells of warm spices and sauces, the mixtures she brewed in her jollof rice. Mm. Okay, we are closing in on two hours. Woo! Um, Woo! Let's talk about our badass ladies. So every episode, we do pick a badass lady and rate her on our badass lady meter. We are reclaiming the word badass. Yes. Would you like to go first? My badass lady is. Uh, I'll do Zaylee. I'll do Zaylee. And I'll rate Zaylee. I feel like Zaylee has good little Madeline energy. Yeah. And like the characters in the book aren't. I mean, I would call them children. They're like 18. Yeah. Around that age. Mm -hmm. They're dealing with a lot. Yeah. Um, and I would rate Zaylee learning to use what you have in a powerful way instead of a damaging way. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, as I said earlier, my favorite character is Amari and I want to give her my rating. Um, I really like the way that she, the way she shifts from one environment to another and how she's mm. able to go from living in the palace all her life to like out trekking around yeah. and like she doesn't complain yeah. uh her tum is rumbling i always think that would be i'm sorry i'm broken record here but <laughs> i'm hungry um i always think that would be my biggest problem with questing in yeah. a fantasy book i would be pippin fully like, totally and just so hungry what about all second the time. breakfast come on <laughs> i need more than an apple yeah <laughs> um and uh but but that's not why I love Amari. Um, I love her because she is so resilient. She is so brave. She gives yeah. up everything she knows. Um, there's little mention of her and Anand's mother in the book, which is a little interesting. Yeah. But the dad is so bad that he just blocks out the son. Uh, right. So there's not yeah, room for anyone else. Not room for anyone um, else. And she's clearly devoted to her children. Like she's trying to keep Anand safe. She's trying to. She's trying to guide Amari to grow in the way that she thinks is best, which isn't, you know, what Amari wants to be like light skinned and thin and pretty and polite. Yeah. Um, but she figures out how to get what it is that she wants and she's going to be queen. To everybody else. And she's going to be a really good leader. Kick rocks. I mean, that ability of hers throughout the book to immediately empathize and soothe, mm -hmm. um, I think, is the quality that Arisha needs. And that's why I wonder if she's going to be like a healer or something. Yeah, I'm so excited to find out her magic. Mm -hmm. I am going to buy the second book today. So 
Yeah. My rating for Amari is getting back Binta's headdress so she has something to remember of her. Oh, this book took me in so many different emotional directions, as, you, emotional as book, you've been yeah. able to tell from this episode. Yeah. Um, Thank you so, for coming along with wow. us on this journey. This is what we, happens when we read a 500-page yeah, book. This, yeah. 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 It's a really long book. Yeah, but uh, but I was um, really happy for its for its length and like yeah. finding a new world to disappear into right now is so welcome. So thank you, Tommy Ariyami. Thank you, listeners who requested this. I listened to it a lot while I was moving. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I was when I listened, I was also out wandering the streets, mm-hmm. and it was a good book in motion. Yeah. Um, you can find us and everything else we mentioned we'll put into the episode description on our website dragonbabiespodcast.com we're also on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast and Twitter at dragonbabiespod Uh, I haven't been very active on there lately because yeah of all the reasons we mentioned but as I said we'll always be here feel free to send us a message we will reach back out at some point and I'm also really behind on replying emails and comments so I read them all we love them we really appreciate them and I will respond one day. Thank you. Our next book. I like this because I think we cover one of these like every holiday season, just inadvertently. That is funny. No yeah. Reason. But <laughs> we are going to read The King of Atolia by Megan Whalen Turner, continuing on in the Queen's Thief series. So if you want to revisit it or read it for the first time before yeah. the episode comes out, which I don't know, maybe we'll pull one out in the next couple weeks. Maybe it'll be a month. We're trying our best. Um, we'll see you. A lot of big life changes <laughs> continue life changes. to happen. Yeah. Um, but we really love and appreciate you all. Thank you for journeying along with us, as Madeline said. And I appreciate we'll you. see you soon. Bye. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Bye. <laughs>